A reading from the book of Daniel. The visions of my king, King Nebuchadnezzar's head, as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshar, answered and said, It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven." And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. For those who are new with us, my name is Cody Quinn. I'm the pastor of Students and connections here at One Fellowship. And I'm excited as we get back into the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter four, and you just heard read uh, most of these verses in chapter four. We, we cut a few for, for Kathy's sake, but uh, we're excited to dive back in and talk about King Nebuchadnezzar and how it applies to us. So before I get started, uh, let me say a quick word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity to hear from your word. We pray that your words would cut us to the hearts, that you would help us to be more and more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. C.S. Lewis has this quote, 
There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. What is it? In our world today, in, in different uh, fiction works, we, we see in different classics, we see it. If you know Shakespeare, which I don't, but Hyatt was telling me about this, we see it in King Lear and in his story. In the, the other classic that I'm more familiar with, The Lion King, we see it in... Scar in Harry Potter, we see it in Dudley Dursley and in Malfoy in the beginning. Here in our world and in your lives today, you see it in your least favorite politician. You see it in your coworker. You see it in your neighbors. You see it in your Facebook groups. What is it? I think we're probably all on the same page already. It is pride. Conceited, egocentric, narcissistic, pompous, and our working definition today, the self-absorbed. And Duguid has this post, has this quote. In fact, even people who would not regard themselves as religious find pride offensive. Yet at the same time, few people actually recognize the sin of pride in themselves. We may see it readily enough in others, but it often deceptively slides undetected into our own hearts. We all know it's wrong. You don't have to be a Christian to be irked by it. You don't have to be a, a, a faith-filled person to see this self-absorbed, prideful person and have issues. But what is hard, what is difficult is to see it in ourselves to accept it, to come to terms that we may be more prideful than we actually believe about ourselves. So today, first, we're gonna talk about King Nebuchadnezzar, and then we'll turn our attentions to our own hearts. Our big idea for today is simple. It's four words. Pride cripples, humility lifts. Pride cripples, humility lifts. Our passage in Daniel chapter four, verse 10 reads this, the visions of my head, King Nebuchadnezzar, as I lay in bed were these, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. And we have to stop here even before Daniel interprets the dream and say, where have I seen this before? What light bulb should this be clicking in my head, this dream King Nebuchadnezzar is having? And it should take us to Genesis 11, at least. Genesis 11 reads this way in talking about the Tower of Babel. It says, come let us build ourselves a city, a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And we see at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 that God comes down as they're trying to make a name for themselves and scatters them because this is not good, making a name for ourselves. And so this dream should already be connecting us to this theme. 
Verse 12 continues. It, its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed and behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth. And here you see this possibility of restoration, this glimmer of hope, this, hey, there may be a plan working here. Let the roots, let the stump stay in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's. <clears throat> and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. And this may have been seven years, but likely it's just a symbolic term for completion. But the whole purpose of this seven periods of time for this tree being chopped, Chop down is this, verse 17. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the, lowly, the lowliest of men. Something great is going to be chopped down with hopes of returning as the stump and the roots are left in place. But whatever this dream, whatever it means, Nebuchadnezzar knows at this point that it's going to take place for this purpose so that the Most High who rules and reigns will be known. And it will be known by these people that he rules and that he reigns. Our passage continues in verse 19 as Daniel enters the picture, picture, and again, as Nebuchadnezzar always does, he finds Daniel last. But Daniel enters the picture and interprets. And we're not going to read it, but here's what the interpretation talks about. <clears throat> Daniel basically says, yes, your kingdom is great, King Nebuchadnezzar. But you have become too dependent, too reliant, too proud of yourself. You are the tree. You will be cut down. You're going to live with animals. You're going to have the mind of an, of an animal. You're going to eat like an animal. You're going to look like an animal. How great King Nebuchadnezzar was, the most powerful man walking at this point in time, and yet you're going to be made lower even than a human. What an interpretation. But then I love verse 27 as Daniel wraps up his interpretation, he gives this verse, this line. Therefore, O king, because of this interpretation, let my counsel be accept, acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel is trying to warn King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, there's a chance. It's going to happen, but there's a chance if you turn from your ways, 
turn to righteousness, mercy may be shown. Your prosperity may be lengthened. There is a chance for mercy. And this takes us to point one. Pride cripples. Before moving here, I taught at a Christian private school uh, for a couple of years, and I helped coach soccer, not necessarily because of technique and skill or tactic, uh, just because I was able body and I just liked to play sports. And so I was there, um, and I got this one, this, it was before a game, I got this one notion that I need to show these high schoolers that I'm better than them, that I can kick the ball harder than they can kick the ball, because this matters. They need to know this. And so I got the ball. And, you know, I did a little backflip. If you play soccer, you know what I'm talking about. I did a little backflip. This ball was just sitting perfectly up there. And I just went to rear back and just kick it. And I kicked the ground right behind the ball. And it felt, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, it was not a head injury, but I'm pretty sure I blacked out. Because um, I don't remember walking off. But I know the, the kids had to have seen my leg just not be in good shape. Uh, and... Uh, walking off the field, limping off the field. It was not a good moment. And all because I had to show these high schoolers what was up. I had to show them that, hey, I'm here, okay? I, I know I'm 23. I'm not playing. I'm not doing any of this, but I'm better than you. My pride led to a really hurt foot, a crippled foot, if you will. And our pride in our lives today does the same thing to everything around us. It cripples us. Our pride takes the view of ourself, the view of others, the view of God, and it cripples us. Look at what it says in verse 28 to 31. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. All this dream, this interpretation came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said this, is not this great Babylon? which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. And then the next line is, while the words were still in the king's mouth, and it continues, the watcher spoke and made it all happen. King Nebuchadnezzar was banished to the fields, to the forests, and it all took place. He had this chance. Daniel had warned him. Right before, a year ago, he had a year to take this warning, to heed this warning from Daniel and to turn to righteousness. He had all his past experiences of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego being in the fire and them coming out unscathed because the Most High came through for his people. He had the experience of having Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego again eating different food and seeing that the Most High provides, is, is, is in control and reigns, and yet he misses it. His pride leads him to miss this opportunity, this chance for mercy again. And the problem with pride is it's hard to see. It's hard to detect. And I think it's hard to detect because sometimes we don't, we don't, see the, we don't feel the immediate punishment. We don't feel the immediate justice of when we show pride or when we act in pride or when we have prideful thoughts. Sometimes a delay in judgment removes our need for change. Sometimes a delay in judgment removes our need for change. King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't feel it. He was king. 
He could look down and around and see all that he had created, all that he had built. And it was good to him. And it was because of him. He didn't feel the justice. And God tried to warn him through Daniel. Hey, turn to righteousness. Turn away from yourself. But yet he was so self-absorbed, he missed it. The ESV study Bible says this, because what does this tell us about God if justice doesn't come immediately? God's justice is not at odds with his delight to show mercy to those who will receive it. God is just, and his justice will come, but he wants to show mercy, and he tries time and time again with King Nebuchadnezzar, but he misses it. He has this opportunity to confess, to change his ways, to turn to righteousness. He's got the dream, he's got the interpretation, and yet he still missed it because he was celebrating himself. His gaze was set on himself and his accomplishments. Often our biggest idol is ourself. We talk about idols being things that we worship. Often it's just us, our wants, our needs, our desires, what we want. That's what leads us to take and obtain and worship other things. We're the biggest idol in our life, in your life, in my life. And if you don't think it's true, read Galatians 6, 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's true for you, it's true for me. We get in our own way because we're so caught up in our possessions, our bank account, our resume, our gifts, our talents, our appearance. But the only way you become something is by being in Christ. The truth is, apart from Christ, although we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we have immense and immeasurable value in Christ, apart from him, we are nothing. The only way you and I become something is placing God in his rightful place. And King Nebuchadnezzar gets to this point where he gets to make a choice and he makes the wrong one because he's so self-absorbed. Are you? Am I? He missed his chance. He missed his chances. Are you missing your chances? And if you're sitting in the seat saying, man, I come to one fellowship every Sunday, I take communion every week, I confess every week, this can even happen to the faithful. It's all of us sitting in this room. In 2 Chronicles 26, there's a cool story about a guy named Uzziah. He becomes king when he's 16 and he does awesome. But here's two verses from 2 Chronicles 26 that talk about even the faithful have pride within them. Verse five says, as long as he, Uzziah, sought the Lord, had his gaze on the Lord, God gave him success. And then you skip down 11 verses, same chapter, verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. His pride led to his downfall. It's often because we have stuff, because we have gifts and talents to give, because we have a bank account that we can do things with, because we have these different things, because we have success. Our pride runs rampant and we can't see it. Even if you are faithful and love Jesus, this is a struggle. We're all guilty of it, believers, non-believers, and it cripples us. Again, it cripples the view of ourself. 
It cripples our view and our relationship with others. And it definitely cripples our view and our relationship with God. But the good news is that our story here, even with King Nebuchadnezzar, does not end in the field. Does not end in the field. Point two, humility lifts. Humility lifts. Uh, Verses 34 to 37 read this way. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. At the lowest point of his life, with talons like an eagle, hair like feathers like an eagle, he fixes his gaze on the Lord. King Nebuchadnezzar lifts his eyes to the Lord. And this language is all over scripture. This is the proper response of a faith-filled person, whether you're in a great situation or a poor situation. Whether you're in good times or bad times, our proper response is in everything. Lift our eyes to God. We see, and what's interesting about Nebuchadnezzar in this story is we see him in two different lights, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We see this idea played out, this I am better, which is where we see King Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning versus this I deserve better. At the beginning, we see him in this I am better place. I am better. I've built this. I am the one. But at the end, we see him in the lowest of lows, but below humanity. And he could have just continued to sit there, say, I deserve better than this. I think oftentimes in life, we can think we deserve better. We can look at other people. We can see their circumstances and see that they are great, but ours is not good. Our life doesn't look how we wanted it to turn out. And in our pain and in our emptiness, we can forget to look to God. And the reality of this is that both are prideful. Both are self-absorbed. They're both hard places to be, but they're both self-absorbed. And it's in all seasons of life, we are to look to him. We are to lift our eyes because the Lord is right. The Lord is just and he can be trusted in the highs and he can be trusted in the lows. And King Nebuchadnezzar found this out. The only response by us, no matter where our life is, the good, the bad, the ugly, is to look up to Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and earth, the God of the Bible, who is sovereign over all. And King Nebuchadnezzar does this. Finally, at the end of this moment, he finally looks up and he's restored. You can be too. 
So what does this mean for us? How do we take what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar and move it into our lives? Starts with being honest with ourselves, taking a honest assessment of who we are, a true look inside. Back to the quote from the beginning. Yet at the same time, few people actually recognize the sin of pride in themselves. As I was preparing this sermon, just to be candid, I thought of different people I thought were prideful. And then I had to be like, okay, guess that's me. Um, And that's what we do. We can think of other people easily, but it's hard. We may see it readily enough in others, but it often deceptively slides undetected into our own hearts. And I had to do a heart check. We all need to do a heart check. So what does this look like? What does being self-absorbed, what does prideful look like when it comes to our relationships with others, when it comes to our relationship with God? Here's a list of a few starter points and just see if you find yourself in any of these and you may have pride inside. Refusing to admit when you're wrong. Refuse to take responsibility for your actions. Desire to be the center of attention. Brag about your accomplishments, your possessions, your looks. Fail to show gratitude. You always, your way is always best. You always have to say the last word or you always have to have input. You find yourself constantly comparing yourself to others. You're not able to celebrate the success of others. You feel entitled to specific roles or privileges desire to be seen for what you can do because God's given you these gifts and talents, lack empathy for others, become defensive when you receive feedback and criticism, look down on others, people-pleasing, a lack of prayer. You seek the approval of man over God. You don't go to God first in times of need. You focus more on circumstances than God. In no way is this an exhaustive list, but does this not sound more and more like us the more and more we talk? It sounds more and more like me. I find myself all over that list. Pride affects all of us. Pride cripples all of us, all of our relationships. So what in the world are we supposed to do? If we all struggle with pride and we all have this on different levels in our life, what are we supposed to do? How can we be more others absorbed, or better yet, God absorbed rather than self-absorbed, especially in this self-absorbed world that we live in. And we can have hope in Jesus because he came to walk with us. He left his kingdom. He left his throne, came to our, our earth. He lived with no pride, no entitlement, He emptied himself completely to serve us so that we could be made whole. The king of the universe, rightful to all praise and to all things and to whatever he wants, chose to empty himself for us. He lived without the crippling, without crippling fear because he knew who was in control. He cared more about others than himself He wasn't concerned about a position of influence because he knew the greatest influence was just to serve others. He lifted others high to lift his father high. So in light of Jesus and his example, how can we rid ourselves of pride? 
How can we become more like him? Philippians 2 tells us, verses five through eight, it says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ is our only hope. He's our only perfect example. So how do we apply it in our day-to-day, in our day-to-day? I think one, we lead with the question, you can phrase this a lot of different ways, but how can I help? Not, hey, here's my gifts and talents. How can I help? Not, this is who, this is my resume. This is what I've done. This is how much I have. How can I help? Just show up and serve. Wherever that means in your life, whatever area that means for your life, how can I help? No prerequisites, just how can I help? And then two, and most importantly, to confess. King Nebuchadnezzar finally gets to the place in his life after seeing example after example and being reminded and reminded and after being chased out for seven periods of time where he can confess that God is the most high. He took him his gaze off of himself and he turned it to the most high. And that in light of Christ, in light of God, he was nothing. That God is in control, that he was not. May we begin to take an honest look at our life and at our value. Yes, we're fearfully, wonderfully made. In Christ, we have immense value, but without Christ, we are nothing. And our accomplishments are nothing. And our things are nothing. So may we confess the prize in our heart, whether big or small, because it's crippling our view of God, it's crippling the view of ourself, and it's crippling all of those around us. And if we confess, then he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to make us new, to forgive us. To close, I have a quote in the scripture. C.S. Lewis says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So let us begin to lift our eyes as we read Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your justice. Thank you for your mercy. God, I pray that you would search us, each and every one of us, everyone in a seat, that you would search us, that you would know us, that you would try us, that you would test not just our actions, but our thoughts, that you would see if there's any grievous way in us and that you would turn us towards you, that you would help us to fix our gaze on you, whether life is great or or whether life is not what we wanted it to be. Help us to take our view off of ourselves, off of others, and to look to you, to lead us in the way everlasting. It's in your name we pray. Amen.